and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. My name is Ian Cheeseman. I am the host of uh, the aforementioned podcast. I'm very grateful that you're listening to this and I would appreciate it if you share it, tell people about it and support it in any way you can. Just like Howard Solicitors who are based in Stockport and Ashton who support this uh, themselves and really appreciate that. They have a website, it's called howardsolicitors.com. And they also have email and they have a telephone number. If you go to the website, have a look at it, you will see that they do a lot of work with people who, and we, we all know people, if, if, if it's not yourself, who are struggling a little bit financially at the moment. So they're not just after the big accounts of people who are mega rich to try and win loads of money back from some other unsuspecting person. They're there to, uh, they're to help the, the ordinary person. And if you give them a call or go on the website, send them an email, ask for some support, even if you're not in the area, and you tell them that you've heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast, I'm sure they'd be highly delighted. So thanks very much for, to them for their support. Now, I've got three guests with me tonight. The first one is a Manchester City superstar of the past, um, but an absolute um, smashing entrepreneur and opinionated pundit who's been on talk sport these days on Grumpy Pundits, uh, which is um, his, his show in the US on Sirius XMFC which I'm delighted to say from time to time I'd pop up in as well, but basically it's, it's Rodney and Tommy Smith or one or two other people that, that he works with. And uh, it's, it's a great listen. So if you're in the States or you can get it in the UK or anywhere else in the world, have a listen to it. So Rodney, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Ian. Also got uh, Stephen, who's one of our regulars, and Louisa, who's fresh from her return from Monaco, covering the Grand Prix uh, and her star is ascending and we're delighted that it is in the world of f1 but it's football we're going to talk about tonight and obviously being where we are right now city have won the league 38 games have been played and there are two more to go we'll talk about the fa cup and the champions league a little bit later on but this is feels like a good point because there's two more podcast to go this season um, and we'll no doubt reflect on the FA Cup and then on the Champions League whatever happens there so this is a good time to reflect on a 38 game Premier League season that doesn't mean we're completely limited to that but that is going to be the main state of our opening gambit so 38, when I look back on the season I think of the 4-0 halftime scoreline against United at the Etihad and that first half performance has been one of the highlights and also the two games home and away against Arsenal, which felt pivotal. And I remember going to Arsenal for that game uh, at the Emirates and thinking, City win today, they win the league. And they did. So I was right. Um, <laughs> so how do you look how do you look at this season, um, Rodney? I mean, are you I know you watch every game and yeah. you you watch a lot more of the Premier League elsewhere than I probably do. Um City, you've got to say uh, they deserved winners, aren't they, again? Oh, absolutely, uh, Ian. Um, I, I think this year, um, in some of the games, not all the games, but in some of, some of the games, um, City played the best football I've seen in many, many years. And um, I know we keep on saying it almost year after year after year, but it's true. And um, the way that the, the squad has developed and the way that the system of play has changed uh, and the pattern of play uh, under Pep, who I disagree with sometimes, but I always get it wrong. Obviously, that's why he's the best manager in the world. <laughs> um, but all those things added together and you got almost an, another perfect season, don't you? Absolutely. I and mean, one of the things that I'm always 
um, thinking to myself is that I'm I, just like you, you know, we all make mistakes and I've, I've judged players and then they've surprised me. And, and I know when I've been on your programme, Grumpy Pundits in the USA, probably a year or two ago, I wouldn't have been necessarily, I'm not saying I didn't, didn't like him or didn't rate him. I don't know him personally, but I wasn't always the biggest fan of John Stones. And suddenly he's become this great player who has adapted brilliantly to Pep. So you've got to give pretty much all the credit to what is going on there. Yes, great individual players, but to Pep Guardiola, haven't you? Well, not a little bit. I, I think pretty much everything because it's his system. It's the way that they want to play under him. Um, you look earlier in the season, Ian, when he puts uh, young Rico Lewis in and everybody went, wow, what's, what's happening there? And he comes and plays, I think it was six games in a row, hardly put a foot wrong. Uh, and in recent weeks has come back in the team again. So, you know, Pep does things that we don't expect a lot of the time. Um, but it seems to come off. I disagree with you about the, uh, only a little bit, Ian, don't, don't have a heart attack. Um, in, in one aspect, and that is, I thought a big turnaround came in the season after a loss. And the loss was against Spurs. I don't know if you remember it. Um, and, and yeah, and, and the, um, it was 1-0. Spurs went down, I think Spurs went down to 10 men. And City still couldn't win. And I thought, wow, is this, is this going to be a, you know, a bit of a, a game changer? And he went the other way. And it sort of, everybody sort of, probably because of Pep, everybody turned that around. And I think that was a big point in the season. Do you not agree with that, Ian? Well, Louise has certainly agreed. I mean, I mean, one of the, the big turning points for me was the, the amount of charges that came from the Premier League. And it felt like suddenly the club, the players, the manager, and it... When you in, you know, when you talk to the players, or you hear, or you hear them talking, or you talk to the manager, they will absolutely deny that anything that's happened off the field with these charges has made any difference. But yes, I accept that the the Tottenham game could well have been a pivotal moment. But I also think that the the moment those charges came in, it was as if they circled yeah. the wagons and that the, the, the became a completely different attitude. But Louisa, you were nodding along then when Rodney mentioned the Tottenham game. Is that a view then you, that you share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was sort of having a quick glance back at, at the season and was trying to sort of see how we won it, you know, and, and even goals we scored and the losses and the draws. And it absolutely was, Rodney. Um, and, and it wasn't just that game either. I think we had a sort of maybe a draw around it as well. And uh, we had a few sort of bad games, I feel, at that point and some low scoring games. And it was absolutely that moment for me that I can clearly see when you sort of look at look at the, the the numbers that came in at that point. Um, and I feel like there was a bit of unrest in the squad as well. And as we say, we don't really know what goes on in the back room. If anything did at all, I don't want to be a, someone that speculates things that never even happened. I think that's that's from the job I have been doing, that's terrible journalism to just guess and speculate. But I feel something was amiss and something was wrong. I don't think Kevin was happy. I don't think, you know, a couple of play couple of players, uh, Cancelo, you know, we, we sort of lost him, um, were very happy. And yeah, they've, they've, something happened 
whatever it was that happened, uh, we turned it around and we started coming back again, fighting again, winning games, six goals, four goals, you know, very high scoring goals. And if you actually look at the difference, I don't want to sort of take a too much of a tangent, especially if you're going to cover this. But if you look in comparison to the other top teams in Europe, if you look at Milan, who won their league, they won 26 games, uh, you know, we won 28. Uh, you look at Dortmund, they won only 21 uh you know and they were still the champions Barca I've got to correct you there obviously oh, sorry. Sorry, Bayern nicked it on the last day you were in Monaco you didn't oh. see that they nicked it on the last day see you're shocked now you didn't even know I that am I, I was enjoying myself on a boat uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Barca 28 games um but you know they but they only oh saying only but they got 88 points whereas we we to me we're still the champions of Europe before we go on to the Champions League game because we scored we did 89 points so we've scored we, we've won the most games or equal the most games and gained the most points so if you look at it from that point of view I, th I think we've just done absolutely amazing and some of those matches as Rodney said as well I've never seen us play this good ever 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 I just think we've played we were we were the word I want to use is convincing because I don't think City always are convincing at all. And we've had this streak and this run of being the absolute greatest team, probably, possibly, arguably, in the world right mm. now. Is that down to Erling Haaland, then? It's not just one player, is it? We know this. Um, but sometimes when a, a player that brilliant or, or that just magical comes into a squad... Others start equaling it. Others start performing better. So it's a, it's an overall and outright performance, in my point of view. You know, you've you've had players like Alvarez, who's you know won the World Cup, who's this fab fabulous young, potentially great player, who's had some off games, who's had some off moments, but then the brilliance. He only needs maybe one moment of brilliance, and some of those goals he scored this season. I've been mind-blowing. You might have had a, a, an all-round 90 minutes of rubbishness in, in some respects compared to others, but he'll score the most magical goal and then we'll go on to win the game. And, and you can't play your best probably for 90 minutes, game in, game out, no matter how much these guys earn, no matter how much is thrown at them. They're human beings and, and they're, they're, they're athletes, but they're human beings. And yet, if you can have a bad game, as a team and win, or if you can have a bad game as a player and just score a moment of magic, then that's all we ask for. That's all we want. The World Cup was obviously a factor in this season, so it's worth mentioning that a little bit. And actually, Rodney, you can you can go on. You're the one who can give us the insight here. I feel personally, having watched football for about the same length of time as you have, that the World Cup back in the seventies and the eighties was the peak of football. It doesn't feel like it is anymore now. So even though people still refer back to players like Julian Alvarez, who had a great World Cup, won the World Cup, and no reason why we can't celebrate that, that I don't think that those six or seven games you play in a World Cup were perhaps half of them are against teams that might not even get in the second tier of English football here, isn't the time to really judge. Rodney, is the World Cup... The, you know, it, it's seen as the pinnacle by most people. Is it better than the Premier League? Is it better than the Champions League in terms of pure quality? Well, um, no, number one, Ian. 
But I want to give you the reasoning behind it because um, going back to, to, I always say my day because that's where, I, as a player, I can re relate to, right? In today's football, I can tell you right now, this is an opinion. Other people, you know, may have other opinions, but this is my opinion. I think you could take Manchester City football team and play against 90% of the countries in the world and they would beat them. It's as simple as that. Now, people might disagree with that, but that's how far uh, domestic football has come. Now, the second point is, back in my day, um, in, in the um, Corrigan, Book, Donachie, Doyle, Oaks, Booth, Summerby, Bell, Marsh, Lee, Towers, I want to say, Tony Towers, was, was in, back in that day, you had an entire team of British players. Now, no team has a, a you know, every team has players from all over the world. So you've got the best quality players from all over the world playing for the best club in the world, Manchester City, right? They're bound to beat a lot of international countries. And I think that's what we have that. And that's why the champions, again, only my opinion, I'm being, I'm being as, a, you know, standoffish as I can. Um, the Champions League is better quality than actually most of the World Cup football, in my opinion, Ian. So I agree with that. So when we look back now on this season, this Premier League season that's finished, do you think the fact that the World Cup happened in the middle of the season or third of the way through the season had any bearing on the outcome, Rodney? Do you know, this is one of the few times, Ian, that I'm going to defer, and I'll tell you why I do that. I always say, and probably because I was an ex-player, I always say that when something um, alters, the, the game is altered by something big or there's a, something comes in where it changes a lot of things, I always say the same thing, and that is ask the players. We can have opinions about this, but I bet you if you were to say to Kevin De Bruyne, how about the World Cup this year, you go, you have a laugh. We should have never done that. I bet the players feel that, Right. Whatever I think doesn't really matter. You go to the players and you say, you know, middle of the season, what did you think about it? Because they've got a real good read on it. And I believe, I believe that it was a mistake to play the World Cup uh, in November, December. While we're on the subject of things that have changed, you know, from the time when you were playing to now, um, let me ask you this then. You might give me the same sort of answer, really. Ask the current players, but do you think that the fact that games are now played on perfect pitches, certainly in the Premier League anyway, and mm. that there's VAR that's come in, which means that you can't be a millimetre offside or that every <laughs> single thing that's come to, you know, scrutinised, do you think that has get changed the game fundamentally from when you played? I do, and that is one, Ian, that you can ask people like me as a, a, an ex-player and a fan. You can ask a fan, you can ask any journalist, you can ask anybody, because that, that is sort of out of those realms. Um, if you compare the playing surface at Main Road, when I first joined Main Road, Stan Gibson was the groundsman, who, by the way, I absolutely love Stan Gibson. We, we became so close, a company coming to Manchester, and Stan Gibson and I got so close so quick. The same as I did with Harry Godwin, by the way. Um, and the pitch, I've got to tell you a story. I've got to tell you a lovely little story. If you don't mind, if I've got 30 seconds, I've got to tell you a lovely little story. 
So I come from Queen's Park Rangers and I'm having it off and I'm playing fantastic football for Queen's Park Rangers, not to be too, too humble, but I'm playing great. And I go to, to Man City for this, you know, the fee and all, it's all documented, we all know what, what happened. And I'm there for about two weeks at Main Road and on a Friday, and Stan Gibson's the, the, uh, the groundsman, on the Friday, um, we, we do sprints, we, we, we get out spikes, running spikes, and that was what Malcolm Allison did. And you sprinted, you had like uh, a few dozen sprints here, 10 yards, 20 yards. I mean, Colin Bell used to kill everybody at every distance. Um, but we used to do that on a Friday morning. And I was walking around the outside of the, of the pitch and I played a couple of games or been subbed for a couple of games. And, and I looked at Stan, he was out there with his fork on the pitch. And I went, Stan, I said, how wide is this bloody pitch? <laughs> he went, he looked at me, he went, because what happened is Man City had played with two wide wingers, right? And it, it, it Malcolm had widened the pitch by four yards. <laughs> yeah. that, that leads me on perfectly. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it because you've led me to it. Malcolm Allison, um, when I first started watching football, and obviously to the friends that I've had who are my age and who were around in that era, Malcolm Allison was regarded as ahead of his time, you know, and, and, and a genius. Now, I know people get confused with his second return when he came back and it was, you know, slightly different, Steve Daly, Steve McKenzie, all that era, and it didn't really go well. But when he was there the first time as coach with Joe Mercer, do you believe that Joe, that Malcolm Allison would have, you know, is there any comparison, I suppose, what I'm getting at, between him and what he was trying to do then and what we're now seeing from Pep Guardiola? Not in the intricacies, not in the tactics, but in the fact that he was a, a pure football person who tried different things and, and was sort of leading the way in his era. Sensational. That's a sensational question. And also, Ian, in terms of a comparison and an analogy, because Malcolm was so far ahead of his time. Some of the training methods we did in those days, you know, uh, we used to do a thing called power heading. I don't know if they do that anymore in football, but uh, to make sure that all the defenders, when the ball comes in the box, you probably never hear of this today. I don't know if you do. Maybe Pep does this. When the ball comes into the box, all the defenders used to do what was called power heading. And we used to train that way. I never heard of it in my life before. And we had the Oaksy and uh, Tommy Booth and Doyle. And they all used to, the ball comes in, in training and they'd do an exercise and they would have to clear it like 25 yards in the air. And that was their power heading. Now, nobody had heard of that before, but Malcolm was doing that at Man City. So your point is well taken and I agree. I've not heard from Steve yet, or we've not heard from Steve yet, so let's bring Steve in. And on the more general topic of looking back on the, the Premier League season that has just concluded, what were your high points and, and were the points when you didn't think City were going to actually retain this title, Steve? I think, uh, same as what Louisa said there, the first half performance against United was outstanding. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing when we give them two consolation goals near the end. It was maybe 6-3 look as though it was a bit better for them than it actually was. And there's, there's been some fantastic performances over the season. There really has. And, and as you say, the two Arsenal games and even the Cup game, you know, like just to put our point across, we've not played them, have we, when we played them in the FA Cup? And we, you know, we beat them 1-0 that night and that 
they came at us, I thought, for about 20, 25 minutes and thought, we're going to blow these away. And then once they didn't get a goal early on, they had to start thinking about it then. And, and we came back into the game and controlled it from about 30 minutes onwards till the end of the game. But a great, uh, a great season, great performances, professional performances away like Fulham, you know, where Fulham put us under pressure and... You know, to win 2-1 and we've won 1-0 away at Leicester when De Bruyne's fantastic free kick. So we've not we've not only been creative and sensational football, we've, we've been professional and fantastic in times. Uh, I think going back to the, the charges in the Spurs game, there's no coincidence that they were in the same week. You know, we lost the Tottenham away on the Sunday and then they charged us, say, Monday or Tuesday. And Pep's press conference on that Friday was the inspirational talk of the season, I think. You know, the way he called every other club out and said, this is, I am not leaving this seat and everything. And I think to be one of his players, to listen to him talk about our club, his club, their club, I thought that sort of drove us on. And it was, apart from yesterday's defeat, again, no coincidence, we never lost after they charged us until yesterday. So you've, uh, you've been watching City a long time, Steve. Have you ever seen a, a squad or as a, a team as together as this? Not just as as great as this, but as together as this. No, no. And I think also, and I, I don't want to single him out, but I think when we uh, sent Cancelo to Bayern Munich, I think a little bit of the discontent went as well. And I've, you know, I'm, I'm like Rodney said before, it's an opinion. I, I don't have an inside view into that or anything. But I just thought that at that moment in time, that we sort of knew that he was very vocal, that he wasn't getting the game time that he wanted. So, and, and as soon as he goes to Bayern, we have the dreadful defeat at Tottenham. And then the charges come after that. I just think the collectiveness of the team, squad, players, even the fans, you know, the reception, no disrespect to Aston Villa, but on a Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Aston Villa come to us and it's not always the, the greatest game to fire the crowd up on an early kickoff on a Sunday, you know, but because of the charges, you know, the team walked out to massive noise, you know, the, the crowd were with the team and I go back to Pet's conference, he he, he just knew, you know, joined us together. I nearly said a bad word then. He joined us together. <laughs> you know, and then from, from there onwards, that was, that was it. And from that moment, the football, we just, we just blew it away. And I think also, you know, Arsenal have, have had a fantastic season. They really have. And they've played some good football. But the one thing I thought was every time they won a game and they were eight points clear and everybody said, oh, they're fantastic. They're playing really well. Every football programme after Match of the Day or Sky Sports, the pundits sat there and said, yes, but Manchester City have not had their run yet. And they said it week after week. And I thought, you know what, to be an Arsenal, I said to my lads when we, we drove to the games, I said, to be an Arsenal player playing that well, all the pundits, because um, Rodney, you'll tell me more. I know it's a lot more intrusive on you these days, but if, as a player, do you watch a game or do you watch match of the day after a Sky Sports? But the Arsenal players, if they were watching, all they got drummed into them was Manchester City have not had their run yet. 
And I thought, wow, that must be playing on their mind that all the people are talking about City are coming. Mm. You know, so I don't, I don't know whether that played with them or not. Hmm. Well, it does. Well, let yeah. me ask you as well, um, Rodney, because we you know we we're in England, so we hear what the English media is saying, English fellow fans are saying. What what was the reaction in the states? And, and obviously, you're hosting a radio program over there, talking to sports fans all over the country in the states uh, every week. Mm. What was the reaction when all those charges were thrown at City? Was that sort of, you know, was it the you know, oil cheats and it'll it'll ruin whatever they win. Or has there been a different attitude over there? Yeah, again, that, that's um, that's a really good analytical question um, because it would be lazy and cheap to answer it in the way that I was going to answer it. So I won't do that. I won't I won't insult you by doing that. Um, there are two different, especially in America. There are two diametrically opposed opinions and for those people that, that listening to the podcast here who, who won't know this most of the city have become massive in america absolutely massive and louise is nodding as she probably knows this being a, being a, a journalist um there are clubs that have sprung up everywhere man city supporters clubs i must get five or six per month come on to me and say, can you do this? I'm in Orlando. I'm in Florida. I'm in uh, Miami. I'm in uh, North Dakota. I mean, there's masses and masses and masses of people following Man City. To answer your question, the cheap answer is to say, yes, there was a lot of talk about it, right? And and a lot of people were saying, uh, especially one of my uh, fellow colleagues on on Grumpy Pundit's show, to, who I who, who continually calls them the Sovereign Wealth Fund, and I and I don't like that. Um, but there's another side of the coin which says, well, you have to pay attention to that because they do have so much money available. You know, number one, number two, the charges that now have been hanging over much of the city. I don't know, guys. You'll know this better than me. It's got to be years now that those well, charges have been around. First UA for now the Premier League. So the different charges, but they have been constantly in the background. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like it's like um impeaching Donald Trump. It's every two years they have a they have a new impeachment and it's a new Man City impeachment. And we spent so much money and they and you spent on the young players and then you give uh, Roberto Mancini a payment and the thing and it goes I'm thinking that was bloody 10 years ago and you're still you're still talking about it so my answer which is not lazy is because of because of Man City's name and and the way that it's, it's progressed under Pep Guardiola especially now it's everybody's talking about Man City about everything and, and that's a compliment, by the way. There you go. And they've just filmed a little bit of Ted Lasso, apparently, with uh, Pep Guardiola. So that's bound to be aimed at the American audience as well, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, very you know, funny, by the way. Very funny. Have you seen... Well, I, I haven't seen it, to be honest, but I'm just as soon as I knew that was happening or had heard about it happening, I thought, well, that's obviously the American market that's aimed at. And when you you live in the States and you're thinking, which team do I support? Which team do I come and watch in England? You look at something like that, and because it's very, very popular, and think, ah, they must be the big. T- I'm not, I won't do an American accent, and that would be very disrespectful. And I can't Sounded do it more anyway. Welsh that did, by the way. <laughs> he probably did, yeah. Well, they're going to go. Yeah, that that's the team I want to I want to go and see. And just to back up what you said about, you know, the the fans over there. I mean, 
I get asked to do stuff as well. And I made the mistake of, of telling somebody that I'm going on the, to the States on holiday this year. And straight away, I've been invited to a, a supporters club meeting. I'm going with family, you know, on holiday. And uh, and somebody else has said, oh, can I, can I meet you at your hotel and everything? So there's a there's a Steady, massive... steady, steady. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a massive, um, you know, we've heard that one really. before, Ian. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, there's a massive demand for city, isn't there? I mean, they are the team. I've got, I've got a second, Ian. I've not been invited anywhere yet. So, you know, there's anyone out there in the States that wants to invite me over. You're on a yacht in Monaco. <laughs> You're on a yacht in Monaco. What more do you want? <laughs> I didn't say a yacht, so it's, it's a water taxi. <laughs> So, so there is definitely a you know a lot of growth happening in terms of fandom, particularly in the states. You're right about that as well. Yeah. Um, just just to talk a little bit about Erling Haaland, then. I mean, obviously this has been his first season. He's broke all these records, um, and he has become, you know, the poster boy, I suppose, for City as well. Um, uh, there's still occasionally rumours that he'll go after so you know not very long and everything like that. And Real Madrid, you know, seems still bit to be the glamour team that he might go to. But let's let's part that on one side. He's Alfie's son, you know, and and you know that makes City fans even more attached to him. Is this phenomenal success? If City were to go on and win the treble, how much of that is down to Erling Haaland? And I mean, he's, he's a different route. I mean, you and I probably, Rodney, have talk, talked about it on your show. I loved watching the team that had a false nine and played the way that it did before. I just loved that team. And I was a little unsure of bringing in a point of attack. But when you bring in a point of attack like Erling Haaland and the way that he's developed as the season's gone along, you had a completely new dimension. And that new dimension might ultimately be the thing that completes the treble for them, might yeah. it? Uh, Steve, do you want to go first on this one, buddy? You've been quiet for a bit. No, just just two, <laughs> just two things then before you go, Rodney, and you can put your opinion off. Do you know, the two best games that I've seen Ireland play, Arsenal at home, where he missed, say, five chances, got the goal in the last minute, but absolutely worried their defence all night, and Real Madrid at home in the second leg, where he didn't score, and once again, just had their defence all over the place. Where the, which then made space for everybody else. His goals are absolutely fantastic. He's a finisher. I, I think he's, of all the great players that we've signed, he is possibly the first world superstar in the sort of Messi, Ronaldo. When when we first got the money, we wanted to sign... Uh, what was the Brazilian guy? Rubinho. Yeah, but the one from... Uh, AC Milan, who said he's not, he was coming and then he wasn't coming. Kaka, Kaka, but yeah, but I think I think Ireland is the world superstar, the first one we've bought. But I love the fact that he worked so hard. And and I, I tell you what, talk about humble. Uh, it, every time someone sets him up, he's over to them. Every time somebody else scores, he's over to them. He's a proper team player, and if he's going to Real Madrid in two years' time. He certainly doesn't look at. He's, he's certainly not unhappy. Put it that way. But mm, I love the two mm. games. Arsenal at home, Madrid at home. Sorry, Rodney. Mm. No, 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 no. It's not just that, Steve. Though it's with all the things you've said, I agree with. But that energy and that physicality and that power, you know, those are things that are, you don't see it. Many, many players in the whole history of the game that have have that now. 
obviously at some point if he gets some sort of serious injury then that that is the the magic dust that goes on what he does but at the moment at, at the age he's at you know early 20s yeah um, no that absolute fearless drive and an enthusiasm that could be the thing that drag City over the line in the FA Cup final in the Champions League, couldn't it? I mean, how good is, is Erling Haaland, Rodney? Um, well, let's go with Louise first, and I'll, I'll bring up the rear, I'll, I'll, because um, uh, I've got I've got a couple of observations about... Um, sorry for taking over the show, Ian, but um, <laughs> I've got a couple of observations that I want to bring in at the end of it. So uh, why don't we hear from Louise, yeah? Go on, Louisa, you're next up. Oh, I don't know if she's frozen. Yeah, I don't oh, she, think she looks like that all the time. So she's gone off, so she even, couldn't come even back. Even Monaco. We, okay. we, we obviously record, just to let you know, in case, this is a little inside insight into what we do here. Um, Rodney's in Florida, because that's that's where he does Grumpy Pundits from. Uh, and we're not. So we are doing it by Zoom. We're not, uh, we're not all sat together. And clearly there was a little bit of a problem there with Louise's connection. Does that mean you don't want to say what you want to say? She won't hear it because she's not with us at the moment. Well, hang on a minute. She's coming back. So we'll see if we can get her up quickly and then see what No, absolutely. Doing. And I, I, it was nothing to do with that. Absolutely. It's just that my, my point of view is much more on a technical thing than it is on a overall thing. And that's why I thought Louise would be better jumping in at, at that point. Well, she's back now. So, Louisa, the floor is yours. Well, what was the question? Harland. <laughs> Harland. Yeah, I, I don't know what you've said. I apologise. Everything just crashed. Um, I'm, I'm, full, I'm fully charged up as well. I don't know what happened. Um, I, you, you know me and how many times was I churning on and on and on about needing somebody with physicality that would bear down on, on defenders and make them think twice and make them be a bit afraid. And the one thing that Harlan's brought that I never anticipated in this very dream machine that I had in my head was that personality. Uh, I absolutely love this absolute immature childishness that he has, that he's like, nee, 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 nee. and you'll see him off the ball doing it every match. It's not just the ones where they'll show it on, on GIFs or memes. There's stuff going on off the ball all the time, and he's in people's heads and he's in people's ears, and I absolutely love it. And if he can't score those magnificent goals that he is scoring, is at least making sure that he's putting off the defenders, that he is pulling them all over the place, um, is he is absolute dream, 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 and I agree. He is going to be one of the world's superstars, and we are so lucky to have him. And he's still got so many more improvements. Imagine when yeah. his peak and his prime. What was he going to be like? Mm. Um, well, I, I, the the final points uh, that I would want to make about Erling Haaland, Ian, um, is. Having been someone that was marked man to man in my career when I played, I was marked man to man a lot. Okay. Um, even with QPR before I came to Man City and, and Man City was another level up as well. I was a lot of times I was marked man to man. And I didn't like that. And I got into a lot of, not a lot, but I got into some problems elbowing players in the face to get them off me and all that sort of thing. Um, so I didn't like that. The great tell that you get about a great footballer is everybody knows what he's going to do, but you can't stop him. We all know what Erling Haaland's going to do, 
And before every game, I mean, some of the best coaches in the world, and they're all going, oh, we're playing Erling Haaland this week. And they know how he's going to play. They know what he's going to do. And they just can't stop him. So that, make, that, for me, makes him another, up the ladder, another rung. Now, the, the final point is this. What's going to happen, folks, and you can check this out next season, because this is a prediction, okay? Might go right, might go wrong. This is a prediction. One of the most influential games I saw this season was Brentford against Man City at home. Man City were at home. And I've never seen this before. They played two man-to-man markers. Now, I've never seen that. If you go back and look at the videotape, folks, and you look at some of the corner kicks coming in, there was two players holding him. Not one player holding him. Actually, two players. And I'm shouting at the television. I'm going, referee, that's a penalty. That's a pe-. And there could have been, I'm, and I'm not exaggerating in that game, Ian, there could have been three or four penalties, right, for fouls on Harlem because they had two players, literally two players marking him, right? That's going to happen next year. I bet you there'll be teams coming to uh, to the Etihad and they'll have two markers on him and it's going to be whack him in the back of the head and kick him in the back of the, you know, and they're going to have two players on top of him in the whole game. Mark my words, that will happen next year. Mike, that I know is now that we're into the last sort of 20 minutes of the podcast and we want to throw forward, is that what's going to happen either in the derby at Wembley in the FA Cup or against Inter Milan in the Champions League final? You know, are they going to put two men in them? Are they going to be more physical? Uh, you know, United, the last thing United want is that City win this treble. Um, and, and obviously, if they beat United at Wembley in the FA Cup final on the way to winning it, that will be the hardest thing for that club and their fans to take. I fear a little bit of physicality in the final at Wembley. You know, that even if they don't win it, that, you know, I'm not, perhaps I shouldn't be quite as cynical as this, but you just, just wonder whether, you know, it would be a little bit of a result for them if, they, if one of our key players, whether it be Haaland or De Bruyne or whatever, uh, didn't make it in the, the Champions League final. Um, how do you think they'll approach it, Steve? I mean, is that, I mean, you know, it's a derby, you know, that it's, you know, how much that matters to us as fans, you know, how much it matters to United's fans, you know, that club, you, Old Trafford, have stood still, still there at Old Trafford, you know, haven't, haven't moved on the way that City have. Um, they're hurting, they're hurting really bad. They'll do anything, won't they, to win on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, they will. They will. I doubt, you know, if we go back to when Rodney said about his playing days before, I think uh, players are protected with referees and VAR a little, you know, a lot, lot more than when Rodney was being kicked every week. Uh, So they'll get away with some things, but not a lot. Uh, I think the biggest thing going into this, you know, is I'm talking to all my United mates. And then one of them actually said to me the other night, he said, I wish Brighton had beat us. So he says, if you when you win the treble, he says, we're not part of that. So, yeah, they're not looking forward to it. But it is a derby game. Every derby game since 2011, I've said that if Manchester City turn up and play the way City play, they will win. So it's just a matter of us playing. And then, obviously, I don't know if they, when they signed Stuart Atwell in January, I don't, I don't is he not playing on Saturday for them? Oh. <laughs> so, um, if he, if we just, I fear a dodgy decision more than I fear them. 
I should just say, by the way, before you carry on, to anybody who's listening to this, who thinks, <laughs> who's Joe Atwell? I don't remember him signing for Manchester United. And we're talking about a referee here, Stephen, aren't we? Yes. Who's, who Did he get the assist in the end, or was it just a, a really, really bad decision? I can't remember which one it was. Uh, no, I, can't, I can't remember whether he played him in. By the way, by the way, that's one of the worst football decisions I've ever seen. So again, this is we're talking here about the Rashford goal at Old Trafford. Just to just to make that clear. Yeah, just just quickly, Stu, to to, to add on to what you're saying, is because now we do have VAR. So it was the worst decision I've seen from a linesman and a referee in the game. And then it goes to VAR, and they said, and I'm not joking, folks. They said, well, he wasn't interfering with play. Well, Kenji. Um, runs 35 yards with him you know on that on the day the day after or the Monday they actually said that it didn't go to VAR because the referee and the linesman discussed it and then the referee just gave the goal the referee the linesman give offside and the referee then decided it was the goal and for some yeah, reason, but, 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 hang on, hang on, Steve. Wasn't wasn't the kicker that it wasn't interfering with play? That the oh yeah, that he made yeah, the run. And he, he, he makes the, the run dummy. right down the middle of the pitch when the ball's yeah. going down the middle of the pitch, and he Kanji um, yeah. runs after him, chasing him out of, out of position. Yeah, if that's not sure. interfering with play, nothing is interfering with play. But by the letter well, of the law, from what I read about it. And I do agree with you, by the way. I do agree that goal should not have stood. But by the absolute letter of the law, it's, it should have stood. And they changed the rule the following week to close that <laughs> loophole. That, that, I mean, that's how farcical it was. You know, but... Turn, turn that round, then. If we'd have scored that goal, would it have been given at that ground? Well, that's another question. That's another yeah. question. But, but it certainly illustrates the fact that you know, United celebrated like that, like that was winning the cup for them. Now this is potentially winning the cup for them if they win on Saturday. Mm. They're gonna. There's never been more motivation from a United team, and we know that when City were not as good as United, which and it was like that for many years during the time we've been watching, uh, there were many times when that extra motivation of being City, wanting to upset the neighbours. You know, that that was what got us through. We might have got a draw or a win or something that, you know, was completely unexpected. I bet you some people won't even realise that the team, the Premier League team with the best record against United, and not just now, not just in this time of success, probably even back into the first division era, City have always got better results against United than any other opponent because it's a derby. And it's going to be the same now. It's the other way around, but it's the same now. United, uh, of all the teams that we could be playing, are probably the most motivated, the most determined to try and stop us. I kind of get nervous, though, because I don't think we've done that well against them in in cup games. I think in derbies, I wouldn't have any qualms about it. I'd be feeling really confident. But I, I, I don't like going to Wembley against United. I don't think we feel we do that well against them. And just to add, add my opinion, I feel like I don't feel like they'll be dirty. I don't feel like they've got that many amazing players on the pitch. So to lose one of them might be a bit of a, a dangerous game in, in a red card situation. I think they're going to go for some early goals as soon as they can, because obviously City are our, we're our own worst enemy when we go goals down. We've proved that. 
we, we lose it, we lose our minds a bit. And I feel like they're going to maybe take that tactic and just try and take the win very early on. And then it's up to us as Manchester City have been playing this entire season to turn that around and to bring it back home. Mm. Louisa, could I ask you a quick question, if you don't mind, Ian? Um, from the point of view of playing Manchester United in the FA Cup final or playing in the Champions League final, which of those two is, is uh, from your point of view, as a massive, massive fan of it, which is more important to you? Um, I, I, I don't like, the, I don't kind of like, I'm not saying I don't like your question. I kind of hate the question because I feel every game is equally important and every trophy in that cabinet is equally important. We spent many, many years without any silverware. We didn't even have a room for them or a cabinet for them. We had so little trophies. Oh, they had a cabinet, but there's nothing in it. Yeah, there was nothing in it. But, but it, all right, you put me on the spot. I'll, I'll answer the question. It's a Champions League for me. It's a Champions League. It's been many, many years. We've won the FA Cup over the years. We've not won Europe. I feel if anyone has has any bragging rights, it's us with the Champions League, especially over United. If they take the treble away from us, if we win the double and it includes the Champions League, no problem. We've won the Champions League. Oh, interesting, interesting. interesting. I mean, we've beat all those amazing teams and and that game that, you know, that we've just been playing to get ourselves into the final and to play into who have been been on fire this season. And I know that you can can think that some of these teams are are very much lower level. We might have been in an easier group, but the 7-0 against Leipzig, the 4-0 against Seville, the 5-0, you know, these are big high-scoring games with a lot of goals and I think they're some of our, our proudest to, to mess up a little bit or be, be had the rug pulled under us a little bit in the Champions League before this season we're like no way there's no rug being pulled on us this year this is ours and I'm going for it oh I'd be so happy win that Champions League so happy Stephen you should answer that now uh, yes yeah good question well <laughs> I'm going to do a peppy. I'm going to say we take it one game at a time. Oh, shut up. <laughs> so let's think about Saturday. And then I'm going to I'm going to turn the question around to you, Rodney, about that decision in January. As you and your teammates have had that done to you in January, and then you are now playing that same team in the FA Cup final, is that extra motivation to put that right? Or do you just go out and win the game anyway? Well, I'd have to say that I'll only answer it one way because um, I don't want to eat, eat up too much of the remaining time that Ian has. But from a player's point of view, you know, I played against Manchester United for City and, and for Fulham and for Queen's Park Rangers. But for City, I played against Manchester United a lot, quite a lot, relatively. And it was always very important. Mike Doyle hated Manchester United. He actually hated Manchester United and, he, and he, he went public with it. And when one of your players, your teammates feels that way, you kind of get sucked along with it. And I ended up getting in so many fights with different players um, in, the, in those games, in those derbies, uh, predominantly because Mike Doyle didn't like him. I was in, uh, having a ruck with people that I didn't, you know, I didn't really know too well. Um, so your point being, you know, I, I think, because I am a fan as well, I think I'd rather win the FA Cup and beat United and lose the Champions League. That's just my take on it. I know Louise is different, and that's fine. I think I'd rather beat United in the FA Cup final. That's, that's just my take. I think it's an impossible question to answer because 
if it was if it was Brighton in the final of the FA oh, Cup, oh, then oh. then there's no there's no competition, and I would say Champions League without doubt. But the fact that it is United, the fact that you know growing up in 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 school with everybody being a United fan and all the years of putting that banner up at Old Trafford and all that sort of stuff, um, you know how many years is it since you won the league and everything? Yeah, um, yeah. that hurts. That all hurts, and so. Winning the treble, let, you know, let's bring it back to that. Winning the treble with United en route to it, because I believe that that 2011 FA Cup semi-final when we beat United through Yaya Torres' goal was almost the definitive turning point of the power shift in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know it, it, they hadn't won the league still at that point, but that felt to me like the power shift. Power shift, power shift, yeah. If, if but, also, but also, Ian, very quickly, also... And it's all about opinions. And that's why podcasts are so good, by the way. Um, you know, you absolutely know that if Manchester United beat us, beat City in the FA Cup final, you know that the following Monday, Alex Ferguson is going to be out saying, yes, well, we beat them because we didn't want them to win the treble. And that's why we beat them. And, they, uh, and you're going to get so much of that bollocks. You know, so that's why... That's why I, I just feel that that's kind of more important. Well, I want to be, I want to win them both, and I want, I want well, this course, treble, of course, of course, and of I want course. this treble, and I want, I want to see City lift that big eared trophy. If, if we win them both, do you think we can? You know, when we do the tour bus thing, um, and I know the route's got shorter and shorter every time we do it, but do you think we can have like a massive one and maybe go go round past Old Trafford as well? <laughs> you know <laughs> what you should do? You, you should get three buses. We're <laughs> going trophy, a trophy on these. Yeah, one. exactly. Get three the trouble with Old Trafford and going there is it's outside Manchester. It's not in Manchester. <laughs> yeah. So can't go there. You know, they could have their little tour around Trafford, but we have ours around Manchester. Um, I think winning on Saturday is the inspiration to winning the Saturday after as well. What about yeah, Inter Milan? I, I hold my hands up and say, uh, this season I haven't watched any Italian football. Mm. So I, I really don't know what to expect against uh, Milan, except other people telling me things. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you, Ian. I'm going to tell you. I've watched a lot this season, well, because uh, grumpy pundits and all that. I'm going to tell you. Latoro Martinez, who plays up front for them, is a handful. He's a handful of a player. Now, it may not pan out, but he's got good movement. He's quick. He's a little bit naughty. You know, he doesn't mind having a little bit of a row. And he's always in the box. Give him a chance and he might nick a goal. The other side of the coin is I've seen them play so many times where they've played six at the back. Six players at the back defending. Right? And they try to get you on the break. The last thing that City needs is to be pushing, 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 pushing. And then suddenly get suckered at the other end on a breakaway. So that's how I see the game panning out. How's that in Dzeko been playing this year? Because that would be some sort of cruel twist of fate if he scored the winner in the final, wouldn't it? Ian, he scored some of the most ridiculous goals this season. I loved, I always loved that in Dzeko when he played for... I've always loved him. I saw him score the four goals away from home against Spurs, which when, it, when he was unstoppable. Well, he scored a goal in the semi-final of the Champions League two, three weeks ago. A left foot volley from the penalty spot out of nowhere, top corner. And I'm thinking, you know, he's laboring around the field a little bit these days. He's, you know, he's not the, the player he was, but he can still score goals. And when you've got Laturo, uh, Laturo uh, Martinez, 
and Jekko, who can both nick goals, you know, it just takes one counter-attack or something goes wrong. Uh, but I will say this, it should be an absolute cracking football match. I know people have paid a lot of money to go to this game. I believe City put on two flights, um, around about £1,000 for the day trip. Um, so around about 400, 500 people maybe will be going on those trips at £1,000 a piece. I know from experience of having travelled all around Europe since City got back in, I mean, I actually was there in the first lot, but, you know, in the second lot, um, travelling around Europe, and I know what it's like. I know that people have gone to all sorts of uh, crazy lengths. I myself am flying a bit of a circuitous route to get there to save uh, to save money. And I know people who've gone into debt and borrowed money and all sorts. This is the one that every City fan, because the last final, the only other final, was the one played when there was only 14,000 people there in Porto. And although I was there, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a Champions League final. I'm not just saying that because Chelsea won, but if City had won it that day, it would have felt very strange to be there with so few City fans, mm. uh, relatively speaking, and to win it under those circumstances. I was sort of half hoping that the venue might change from uh, Istanbul to Wembley because there was some talk that it might move. Next season, of course, it's at Wembley. But, Don't get me started, Ian. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> but the fact is, it's in Istanbul and lots of people have you know, taken out remortgaging to get there. So I do hope for everybody's sake, all the money that's been spent, all the effort, this glorious team, that that is the culmination of this amazing season. And I personally think Pep Guardiola and especially the, you know, the, what do they call those legacy fans? The legacy fans who've been watching City since Steve was a lad and I was, <laughs> and I was, and I was probably middle-aged, you know, um, those, those fans deserve to, uh, having gone through everything to, because it was, you know, what, 25 years ago, went down at Stoke, having won the game and still got relegated to the third tier. Anyway, they deserve that. So the question that finishes the podcast is not a score prediction. I never ask score predictions and I never give them, as you know, Rodney. Um, so I'm just going to ask for your instinct now. We'll leave Rodney till the end. Um, Louisa, two big finals to come. You saw what happened at Brentford. Players have been rested. Some have said that that means the momentum's gone. Others have said, great, good decision. All the players are fresh. We know it's a Manchester derby. We know they'll do everything to stop us. Where are you as we sit here now in the week leading up to the FA Cup final at Wembley and then the week later Istanbul? Where are you? City going to win them both? Neither of them? One of them? Absolutely going to win them both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, I was just a bit nervous about cup games, you know, the, the fact we've never had a great, great, fabulous record against United, but we've got a very, very different team now, a very different squad. And even we've not even sort of individualised players, this this particular podcast, and, and apart from Haaland, and sometimes we do, but we've got Grealish, you know, taking knocks every, every game. And my God, what a tough cup he is, you know, and if all the players are being drawn around Haaland, then... Grealish will have the ball anyway, knock it in. Foden's coming back into form if he gets back on the pitch. You know, we've got some real solid, strong players here. Um, and psychologically, I think we've got it this season. We're the we're the we're the best team that we've seen since since Rodney's day. We absolutely are. There's no doubt about it. We've got both these matches. Brentford beat us twice this season, don't forget. That, you know, I mean, I know that that they're they're not 
up in the top four with us, but they're not a bad little team. Um, and 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 you know, the, and you didn't ask, and I want to be really quick. But the best team I saw play us this season was that Fulham game, not just recently. I've never seen a team play that well against us for a very long time. And if we can beat a team that the team that Fulham that played us played their best against us, we can beat Inter and we can beat United. All that positivity. For the record, I'd say our best opponents this season were Brighton, but I, I wouldn't necessarily massively disagree with what you're saying, Louisa. Steve, where's your gut? What, what are you feeling? Confident, not overconfident, two wins. You're going to both? <laughs> you're going to both? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I think the good thing about Ireland as well, being humble, is that he saved scoring. He wants to score at Wembley and he saved the semi-final so he can score in the final so that's <laughs> gracious of him to do that as well Rodney you're a former player yeah. I know that you love City I know you consider yourself to be a fan but you're also a journalist a pundit a bit of everything really probably nobody has a better perspective certainly in this group to give us a, an honest opinion of what might happen what's your professional opinion yeah well they're just calling me now on the phone so uh, wanting to know what I think so <laughs> um, I would say this, and I apologise for the phone ringing, by the way. And for, for those people earlier on that saw me uh, on Zoom um, messing with my my headpiece, I had it on back to front. So <laughs> kind of a Kelly Dalglish moment I had there. Um, I think City win the treble, um, but I've got to say this: at least one of those two finals. I think goes to extra time and possibly even penalties. That's what I just feel. I know. Look at Louise; she's going to be chomping on her on her sandwich watching the game. <laughs> but I've, I've I, had too many painful games. I know we all have, but I, I've also had a bit of scope in being a fan of other teams, and and I've loved Italy, you know, as a national team over the years. And immediately, you know, nineteen ninety four, you know, World Cup final, all that just comes back and it just fills me with fear yeah. and dread and please please don't give us penalties no Rodney no yeah. <laughs> I think it could happen yeah <laughs> well it could and whatever happens uh, I'll be back with another podcast uh, next we'll record it on the Sunday the day after the FA Cup final and then the very final one will probably be recorded on the Tuesday evening after the Champions League final because my route there and back means that I won't get back into this country. Uh, win, lose or draw, well, there won't be any draw in the Champions League final until quite late on Monday evening. So if there is a parade, I don't think I'll be there, um, but I won't care if we won, frankly. Uh, just to have been there would be amazing. I might just say, by the way, at this point, that, as I say, we've got two more podcasts to go and I, I, I'm still vlogging on YouTube, so check that out um if you are listening to this now and you think uh you know i wouldn't mind sponsoring ian and supporting what he does because this is the time of the year when i think are the people who sponsor me now going to renew am i still going to be doing this next year so reach out i'm on twitter you can direct message me uh, or you can search for the email address and send me an email and i would love to hear from you of course in the meantime um louisa just quickly tell us where we find out about your love of Formula One and, and the things that you're doing now so that they can tune into you and hear a bit more if they love Formula One. 
Oh, well, my my uh, platform's Road to F One, uh, and and I go by L A Wilshaw because uh, it's very it's very much um, Hollywood, not Hollywood. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Um, I've I've got I'm, I'm a bit slow, you know, I'm a bit slow at all this stuff and, and updating social media. You definitely need a, an extra pair of hands, and I've got a really great girl that helps out, but she's been finalising a uni course in the last couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll get some catching up. I'm covering F One Academy. I'm covering covering super formula i'm covering sort of f1 f2 and i've got some fabulous photographs from from monaco this weekend i want to go into a photography side as well um and maybe help some teams out and some drivers out too so i've got some wonderful pictures that will be coming out um in the next few days and i don't care if it's a back-to-back -back race week if i miss barcelona posting all my pictures from monaco so be it because i've got some amazing shots um so yeah please you know it'd be, it'd be lovely to have some city fans that are also race fans join me on social media that'd be wonderful brilliant soul sit lovely to see your star soaring uh, louise it is fully deserve it um stephen uh, flogs and installs windows so uh <laughs> that's your little plug and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sirius XMFC, obviously you're on Twitter and social media. When are you on? What, what, you know, you always give me a plug on your show. Give us. Yeah, a I'll, be, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very quick. It's Grumpy Pundits on Sirius XMFC. Grumpy Pundits. We got loads of Grumpy Pundits on uh, all the time. We've got an interesting guest this week. We've got Ricky Hill, who was the yeah. Luton England player. Um, talking about loot and getting promoted. Um, so that'll be good fun. And also, folks, also, I'm going to let you know, it's Rodney Marsh 10 is my Twitter, Rodney Marsh 10. And I have done, for the first time in my life, I've done a podcast on my own. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I did it with a guy that produced it and all that. <laughs> and it ended up being an hour and 47 minutes long on <laughs> <laughs> my kind of podcast that <laughs> so louisa we we um we got back on again and i'm going to cut it down into four segments of uh, you know of that period so like about 15 20 minutes each segment but what it is it's my favorite goals of my life not mine goals around the world you know like um as an example matt letizia or glenn hoddle or Lionel messi got to accompanied... be with Mito carlos in the 70 world cup final <laughs> oh you've ruined it for everybody that's... <laughs> that's my number one that's my number one but also also folks i'll tell you they're accompanied by my favorite songs so i've got uh, yeah, it's like Rodney's gold and Rodney's song. So um, <laughs> I was actually going to—I was going to ask you because I know we're overrunning crazily. This is going to be an hour and forty-seven minutes. But I was going to ask you, Rodney, if you had a favourite city goal from this season because I'm not sure if you've asked it when I'm chopped out or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, it was the the bicycle donkey kick by Erling Haaland. Who, for those people that uh, you know haven't played the game and i'm just haven't played football the the degree of difficulty to score and adjust your body for a goal like that is 10 out of 10 it is absolutely and, and his his physique you know how he did that it was against southampton wasn't it how he yes. did that i have got no clue but to me we used to score a lot of scissor kick goals 
maybe sort of 10 plus years ago and I loved them and they seem to have sort of died down a little bit not many players can do them or do do them and I was like yes oh my god he can even do yeah. a scissor kick what can he not do <laughs> superb absolutely superb yes well, thanks very much to my present sponsors uh, who may continue on, I don't know, hopefully. And if not, remember, uh, just reach out if you fancy getting involved. Uh, but just let me say that uh, thanks very much to Howard Solicitors based in Ashton and Stockport, howardsolicitors.com, uh, or just have a look on the website for other contact details. Very much appreciated. Two more to go matches two more podcasts to go two more vlogs to go on my youtube channel so have a good week as we count down to wembley 2023 what is the next fortnight going to be like it could be one of the best to be a blue but whether it is or not it's always great to be a blue mm -hmm.